It is Tuesday, April 7th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me from a distance, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, we're a week into April. The NFL has announced that it will stick to the scheduled dates for its draft. They're going to go fantasy draft style with everyone drafting from their homes. And the FFPC's Chris Lambert as the moderator. Um, actually, I, 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 that's not true, obviously, but I feel like that part should probably be true, don't you? It's definitely true. There's no better moderator out there. It, it is almost draft time, though. That means it's time for us to dig in on this show to the guys who are about to blow up all of our fantasy projections. We will hit the running backs later this week. We will get to the quarterbacks and tight ends next week. But we're going to start today with the wide receivers. And for several years now, Jared, that position has really been your rookie playground. So why don't you start us off by reminding us of your process on these guys? Yeah, so I think when you're evaluating any position, there's sort of three departments you're looking at. One is college production, two is athleticism or, you know, the the combine or pro day measurables. And then the third one is the the tape. For wide receivers, I think what I do and and I think what a lot of smart people have found is that the right way to go about this is to is to weigh college production most heavily. And there's a couple different things we look at when we're looking at college production. It's really more than just the raw numbers. You want to look at market share. And that's basically the percentage of the team's receiving production that the player accounted for. So the percentage of catches, the percentage of receiving yards, percentages of receiving touchdowns. And that sort of adjusts for the strength of the team's passing offense. I mean, in college, we see these teams throwing for you know 5,000 yards. We'll see another team throwing for 2,000 yards. The range is just a lot bigger than what you see in the NFL. So it, it kind of helps adjust for the strength of the team's passing offense. The second thing with production is you sort of want to age adjust it. Um, Again, you know, there's been a a bunch of smart people that have done studies that they really show the earlier a guy produces in in college at at wide receiver, the better chance they have to, you know, be a hit at the NFL level. So you want to take into account, you know, when this production was coming, what was it as a sophomore? Was it as a senior? Cause that matters. Um, and, that, and then there's athleticism and tape and both those things certainly do still matter. Um, you know, there's been, again, lots of studies that have really shown no correlation between athleticism or, you know, measurables and NFL success for wide receivers. So I, I try not to weigh athleticism and these combine results too heavily for wideouts. Then again, you know, if you're just comparing a guy, you'd rather have him be athletic than not athletic. So it does still matter, you know, more of like a a tiebreaker, I guess, if you're close between two guys. And then the tape, another facet where I try not to weigh too heavily because I don't consider myself a professional scout or even, you know, an expert film guy. But I think, you know, both of us and a lot of listeners have watched enough football where we just kind of know what a good wide receiver is supposed to look like. So I I do still, you know, tape and the film, it's still somewhat part of my evaluation process. Yeah, I mean, the NFL gets a bunch of these players wrong every year. So we, we have to make sure that we're not overweighting anything. I think where we're at now in the still young history of data studies, really, is it's there's going to be new stuff coming out all the time where we have to figure out and a lot of times wait and see if it if it sticks, if it ends up being useful. For me, it helps when something new comes out that makes sense. I mean, there's always varying degrees of making sense and you can always decide what does or doesn't. But, you know, you say the athletic testing doesn't matter so much as receive at receiver as it does at other positions. That makes sense to me because there are lots of different ways to play receiver. Mm-hmm. There are lots of different schemes. There are different positions on the field that all count as wide receiver. The market share stuff makes sense to me because if a guy is getting a large share of his offense in college, it's probably because he's that much better or more reliable or whatever exactly versus his contemporaries. Yeah, I think that's right. And going back to what you said about athleticism, that's a good point about there being so many different ways to win a wide receiver. I mean, look at you know, look at DK Metcalf versus Julian Edelman. They're like completely different types of guys, but they both can be successful in the NFL. So I think when we are looking at athleticism, you want to consider the player you're looking at and, and sort of think about what matters for him as far as testing goes if it's a speed guy you want to see him run a nice 40 if it's more of a you know smaller slot guy who's going to win with quickness you want to see him do better in the agility drill so I think not all testing numbers should count the same for all players Mm -hmm. now this rookie class could be a group that we're talking about for a while drafting for a while in fantasy I mean we might get six guys in round one maybe even a pool of eight or nine receivers that are being discussed and considered in that range I know there are eight wide receivers in Daniel Jeremiah's top 50. There are five different mock drafters with drafts posted on NFL.com right now. 
only one of those drafters has fewer than five receivers in round one. And it's Maurice Jones drew, <laughs> by the way, the, of course, former NFL running back who has three running backs and just four wideouts in his round one. Everybody else has at least five, two of them have six pro football focus has three wideouts in its top 10 overall prospects, eight among its top 30, and 11 among its top 50 overall. Yeah, I think depth is definitely uh, the word to describe this wide receiver class. I think there's two you know, high-end prospects, and we'll get to all these guys, that you know have the potential you know, to be wide receiver ones in fantasy football. But beyond that, I mean, there's at least 12 other receivers that I have like serious interest in that I'd want to spend – a dynasty rookie pick on. I'm curious about, you know, just to get into more of the NFL draft, I'm curious if the depth of the class is going to cause some of these guys to actually drop farther down than they might otherwise, just because teams know that, you know, maybe they can get a quality receiver in the third round rather than spending a first rounder on that guys. But that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that, and I'll be curious to see how everybody in their own places affects the trade market. If it makes it more difficult for teams to work out trades because their coworkers are in different places and it's extra calls you have to coordinate so it's going to be interesting to watch for that. I think the way this draft is going to go down is going to put even more separation between like the teams that know what they're doing and the teams that are sort of like, you know, five, 10 years behind. And separation between the teams that have good Wi-Fi and don't. <laughs> yes, for sure. How do you expect to approach this wide receiver class in rookie drafts? And basically, I guess the, the primary question there is how early do you think you'll attack the top guys? Right. And, you know, to be honest, I, I'm not done digging into the running backs and the, even the quarterbacks and tight ends. So, you know, my pre-draft rookie rankings even aren't finalized. And of course, that'll change after the draft. But I think, again, because the position is so deep, you know, C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy are those, you know, two elite guys who I think, you know, could be wide receiver one. So to, to me, you know, they're two guys to consider within the first, you know, three, four five picks of rookie draft. So beyond that, I think I'm going to be sort of pushing the running backs up a bit, at least like the top five running backs in the class. And then, you know, just seeing what I can get at wide receivers. I think there's going to be strong wide receivers available in the second round of dynasty rookie draft. So I, again, I think the depth should impact how we're um, approaching these wideouts and rookie drafts this, this summer and spring. I agree with that. I think I, in general, have not been treating rookie drafts enough like a stock market kind of thing where Mm -hmm. I'm thinking long term and you know I'm taking at number three the guy that I think is going to have the best career instead of thinking about who's going to give me the quickest return and maybe turn into then a a high value trade chip at that point so running back specifically we tend to get their production early in their careers and then they go downhill much more quickly than wide receivers so I think both this year and in general, I'm going to be looking to push the running backs up my board a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think you're exactly right. That's probably a mistake I've been making in Dynasty for too long is overvaluing the wide receivers in these Dynasty record drafts. Because like, like you said, you're you're more likely to get immediate production out of running back. And also, a lot of these running backs, you know, by the time they're into their fourth year, they're sort of already on the decline. So I think we want to try to capture those those running backs early in their careers whenever possible. What are the chances you think we get some big 2020 contributions from this or contributors from this wide receiver class? Yeah, so again, I think C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy, pretty much regardless of where, they're la- where they land, are, are good enough and are probably going to have the draft capital to command a, a pretty big target share right away. So I think they're good bats for 2020 production. And then really looking around the league, there are quite a few good landing spots for wide receivers, I think. So I think, you know, we're going to get quite a few other 2020 producers. I think, you know, Green Bay looks like a, a prime spot with really nothing behind Devontae Adams. Uh, the Eagles are in desperate need of some wide receiver help, and that's a, a good offense with a quality quarterback. And then teams like uh, Denver, the Jets, even San Francisco, Indianapolis, I think there there's openings there where if a receiver lands there in the first few rounds, they're going to have a good chance to, to win a pretty big target share this season. In doing my initial projections, there are even some some non-obvious spots where if that team happens to draft a rookie in the first two rounds, you know, maybe there's a chance for that guy to come in and blow up what we might think is an already pretty well set top three at their wide receiver spot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think I, I didn't even mention Minnesota there, who, of course, you know, traded away Stephon Diggs. So that's another good landing spot. So um, I think, you know, more so than running back, there there's quality spots for these guys to land and, and make an impact right away. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been focusing primarily on other positions over the past couple of months, running back mostly, some quarterbacks, a few tight ends, and of course, the, the defensive guys. Fortunately, though, there are 12 free smallest scouting reports of wide receivers right now on DraftSharks.com that helped me catch up to this position and get ready for this show. I know we have more of those guys to come. I have a couple of later round favorites of my own to add at the position in a little bit, but let's start now, Jared, 
with your early top 10 among the receivers, who is at the top of your list? I'm going to count us down from 10 to one, if that's okay Ooh, with you. All right. Curveball. <laughs> a little more, you know, a little more anticipation for, for the listeners there. All right. Who's a 10 then? So my 10th ranked guy is Brian Edwards out of South Carolina. He puts a big check mark in the production box. He had the youngest breakout in this entire 2020 wide receiver class. Um, he went for 590 yards and four touchdowns as a 17-year-old true freshman. And those aren't big numbers, but that was a bad South Carolina passing game. Edwards actually tied for the team lead in touchdowns, ranked third in catches and yards behind only NFLers Debo Samuel and Hayden Hurst. Um, so a really strong freshman season for him. Edwards led South Carolina in catches, receiving yards, and touchdowns as a sophomore. Debo Samuel missed three games that year, but he, but uh, Edwards did beat out Hayden Hurst. And then Edwards set new career highs um, in 2018, despite Samuel's uh, despite Debo Samuel being back, 55 catches, 846 yards, and seven touchdowns for Edwards as a junior. And then again, sort of boosted his numbers across the board this past season, uh, career high 71 catches. And that was despite missing two games last season. So Edwards actually led the SEC with 7.1 catches per game last year. You know, the SEC, I think widely regarded as the best conference in college football. Um, Edwards fourth in that conference with 82 receiving yards per game. And the market share numbers were big, 30% of South Carolina's receptions, 35% of the receiving yards, and 50% of the touchdowns. Those are all top six marks among 23 of this wide re- of this class's top wide receiver prospects. Now, the concern with Edwards is the injuries, and he had a, a fractured left foot in February that actually prevented him from, from uh, working out at the combine, so we don't have any measurables for him. And beyond the fractured left foot, he uh, tore his meniscus in his right knee as a high school senior, had a hamstring injury as a freshman in 2016, and again, missed those two games this past season with a left knee injury. So that's the risk with Edwards. But again, if he can stay healthy, I think he could be one of of the bigger sleepers in this wide receiver class. Yeah, and the knee knocked him out of the senior bowl, I believe, as well this offseason. He seemed to start out the whole draft season as – like, uh, watch out for this guy. He's going to be a sleeper. And it seems like there might have been so much of that talk at this point that he looks like he could be headed to a top 10 spot among wide receivers for dynasty drafts. Is that what you've seen to this point? It seems like he's right in that range. But again, I'm, I'm curious to see how the NFL treats him after he wasn't mm-hmm. able to work out at the combine. Of course, all the coronavirus stuff going around, you know, he, he wasn't able to have a pro day or any individual workout. So that might cause him to slip in the NFL draft, I, w- I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up as a day three guy, like a fourth or fifth rounder. And I think that would obviously hurt his dynasty outlook, but again, might turn him into a value because, you know, the, the production, the raw numbers aren't huge, but again, that's why you got to look at the market shares and the fact that he broke out as a true freshman. I think it makes his college career quite a bit more impressive than you might think. Yeah, strong profile. And regardless of exactly where he sits in ADP, I don't know how true of an ADP we can possibly get for rookie drafts. I, I think he's in a fluid range at wide receiver where his actual position is going to vary uh, quite a bit by drafts. But an intriguing guy, somebody to watch. Who is number nine on your list? Number nine for me is Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. And, um, you know, his, his 2009 was was awesome. 1,192 receiving yards. That was 15th most in the entire country. 65 catches, eight touchdowns, averaged 18.3 yards per catch. That was 13th best among all players with 40-plus catches last season. Um, He skipped Arizona State's bowl game, but his market shares in his 12 games with the team, 29% of the catches, 39% of the receiving yards, 38% of the touchdowns. Those are all top six marks among those 23 um, wide receiver prospects that I looked at. Also fared well in Pro Football Focus's yards per route run, which you know has been shown to be a pretty predictive metric. Um, Ayuk was fifth among those 23 wideouts in yards per route run this past season. The concern with him from a production standpoint is that 2019 was his only big college season and, and it came as a 21 year old senior again we talk about breakout age and you know Ayuk is, is on the lower end of that he did spend his first two seasons at a, a junior college Sierra College so you know he obviously didn't qualify it's you know breakout there and then he sort of has an excuse for 2018 in that he was playing behind Nikhil Harry who obviously you know went on to be a first round pick last year um, Ayuk did finish second on that Arizona State team and yards and touchdowns, but you know, sub sixteen percent market shares in both those departments. So again, the the production was pretty underwhelming until this past season. Yeah. So my favorite thing about him is that his last name is spelled like Goofy's laugh. Like I want to call him Brendan. <laughs> oh, yo. 
Um, <laughs> but beyond that, I he in in watching a couple of Arizona State games, he he stood out to me before I really knew much about who he mm-hmm. was. And then the the red flags, though, I, I wonder if they will become red flags that should have been considered or things that he overcame. You mentioned him, the, the two years at junior college, so he didn't get to this level right from the start. Only Arizona State wanted him at wide receiver, despite mm-hmm. having a really good second year in JUCO. Other, others wanted to change him to DB. He was only fourth in receptions for those Sun Devils when he did join the team. So, you know, it wasn't just Nikhil Harry ahead of him in the late breakout age you mentioned. So, I don't know. Is it the kind of thing where if he slips until early round three, you're like, okay, maybe I need to worry more about these things. And if he goes late round one, then then you'll worry about them less. Here's why I might be too on him is I've seen Ayuk mentioned as a first round pick in some mock drafts. I think Daniel Jeremiah um, had him in the first round in his last mock draft, which is super surprising to me. I mean, he does not look like a first rounder to me, especially with the depth of this wide receiver class. But, you know, that's again where we're obviously going to be adjusting these rankings post-draft and he, if he does get first on draft capital you almost have to move him up because that just you know boosts his immediate and longer term opportunity um also worth mentioning with Ayuk, he did test really well at the combine he's six foot 205 pounds uh, ran a four five flat 40 but also went 90th percentile with a 40 inch vertical uh 88th percentile in the broad jump so he earned an 89th percentile spark score and again you know athleticism doesn't weigh heavily for wide receivers but it, but it also doesn't hurt the guy Right. And it also can't hurt him that he had a couple of longtime NFL veterans, Herm Edwards, Marvin Lewis, mm-hmm. on that staff at Arizona State. I mean, you know, maybe there's no ultimate impact to that, but it certainly can't hurt to have that kind of experience there. He was also a good return man. So, you know, the athleticism did show up, even though it was a late breakout age receiving. I, I, Josh Norris for Roto World had him in his round one uh, in his mm-hmm. most recent mock draft that I saw. So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see exactly where he settles out yeah again i mean in a less deep wide receiver class he he could be a top five prospect he just gets hurt a little bit by all the all the quality guys in this class mm-hmm. who's the next quality guy in this countdown i mean number eight i have henry ruggs at alabama and that's you know probably as low as you'll see him ranked in you know rookie wide receiver rankings he's expected to be a top 15 pick in the nfl draft which is crazy to me but you know he's he's fast that's what the nfl likes he's an alabama guy the NFL likes that but I mean from a production standpoint he he just he, he basically gets an F on the grading scale Ruggs never hit the 20% market share um, threshold in any of his three seasons at, at Alabama he, he went for 741 yards and 11 touchdowns as a sophomore but that was in you know an excellent Alabama passing game so he only accounted for 15% of the team's receiving yards 21% of the receiving touchdowns Numbers went up a bit. His receiving yards actually went up by five to 746 this past season, 40 catches, seven touchdowns. He did miss one game and parts of two others with a lower body injury, a rib injury, and a third undisclosed injury. But um, his market shares in his 12 games uh, for rugs last season, 14.5% of the receptions, 18% of the yards, 15.6% of the touchdowns. Those numbers out of the 23 wide receivers I've looked at, they rank 23rd, 20th, and 23rd. So, you know, bottom barrel on all three. Now, the the context for Ruggs is obviously important because, you know, yeah, he's playing in this excellent Alabama passing game with Tua Tagovailoa, who's, you know, going to be probably the second quarterback off the board later this month. But Ruggs is also competing for targets with Jerry Judy, who we're going to talk about, who, you know, is a top two wide receiver in this class. And then Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, two more wide receivers who are probably going to be first rounders next year. So, Lots of target competition. You definitely have to weigh that in when you're looking at Ruggs market shares. But still, even with that, I think his his college production to me does does not look like a guy who should be a first round pick in the NFL draft or look like a guy who, you know, should be a top two or three wide receiver in this class. And I could tell with all of your tweets about uh, KJ Hamler being a discount Henry Ruggs that we were building to this moment. So I can't say that I was at all surprised to find out where Henry Ruggs ranked for you. But I mean, it makes sense. And he's a big example of why the market share stuff matters, because it's a lot easier to score 11 receiving touchdowns with an Alabama team that's playing for a national title and playing 15 games than it is to play to score 11 touchdowns for TCU. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And again, the, the one thing market share doesn't capture is the quality of teammates you're you know battling for that stuff with but I still think if you look at it overall it's sort of disappointing Ruggs also wasn't very good in yards per route run this past season Um, he was 15th among those 23 wide receivers and this is another interesting interesting thing I found when I was digging into Ruggs he 
dominated the non-Power 5 schools that he faced. You know, Alabama plays a couple of these, you know, doormats every year. And Ruggs averaged 100 yards and 1.2 touchdowns per game against non-Power 5 schools over the last two seasons. He only averaged 47 yards, 0.6 touchdowns per game against Power 5 schools. So he, he struggled against the tougher competition he faced. And I mean, the other thing too about the the teammate considerations is no matter how good a college you play at, no matter how strong a team you're a part of, you're probably going to be playing with better guys in the NFL. So if you don't emerge, you know, it's one thing to lead your team, but have a small market share, like 20, 21%. It's another thing to be second or third on your college team, regardless of how good your teammates are there. So Henry Ruggs is fast and he's probably going to put up some numbers somewhere. And it sounds like he's almost definitely going to go in round one. But I, I agree with you. It's surprising that he seems to be a near consensus top three receiver, at least in terms of draft rankings and mock drafts this this year. I would say I think it makes more sense for an NFL team to be higher on him because I think Ruggs is the type of guy who might be more valuable to his NFL team than fantasy teams. I mean, he he has elite speed. He ran a 4-2-7 at the Combine. So, you know, that is going to impact how teams defend whatever team Ruggs lands on, and it's going to lead to some big plays. He's going to carry a high weekly ceiling in fantasy, assuming he's good enough to, you know, land a top two or three job on his team. But again, to, to, you know, have him third in your dynasty rookie wide receiver rankings, I just don't think that makes sense based on his, his production profile. I agree. So who's ahead of him on this list? So number seven, I have Denzel Mims. And and so to me, seven down to number three. So that tier of what is that? Five guys, they're all close. So you could really mix and match these guys in any order. And I wouldn't argue too much. And again, landing spots will end up changing the order of these guys. But for now, I have Denzel Mims at seven. Um, he's out of Baylor. That's, let, let's start with the measurables for Denzel Mims because he's just a, a big athletic dude. Six foot three, 207 pounds, ran a four three eight forty time at the Combine. Also posted an 84th percentile vertical, 94th percentile broad, 90th percentile three cone. And he was a 95th percentile spark athlete, which sort of combines all the measurables and size. So he is a size speed freak. So he has that going for him. Production profile is pretty good too for Mims. He broke out in 2017 as a 19-year-old sophomore. 61 catches, 1,087 yards, eight touchdowns. That was 23% of Baylor's catches, 32% of the yards, 35% of the touchdowns. So really nice market share numbers for a sophomore. Um, Mims actually took a step back um, in production in 2018 because um, Jalen Hurd arrived to Baylor that season as a senior transfer. He took over as the lead dog. But then it was back to Mims as the number one wide receiver this past season in Mims's senior year. Um, 66 catches, uh, 1,020 yards, career high, 12 touchdowns. Again, nice market share numbers, 24% of the catches, 29% of the receiving yards, 50% of the receiving scores. So, you know, again, he's athletic. He produced at a young age, nice market share numbers this past season. I think, you know, he's a guy who, again, could could really climb as high as number three in these rankings, depending on landing spot. Yeah, curious to see landing spot for all these guys. But for me, Denzel Mims is the kind of guy that is built for these rookie drafts where I think it pays off more to take a chance on the upside of somebody than it does to worry about their floor. I mean, all pretty much all of these guys are capable of crashing for whatever reason. We might get nothing from any of them. I think if we look at the ceiling potential on all these guys, it's tough to say that there are many that, that beat Mims, whether you're talking about watching the film and I think where you can get into trouble is if you watch somebody's film and you're wowed by it, but you're ignoring their production or ignoring measurables. There's enough of all of those aspects for Mims to to build this package of chasing upside for me, even if it doesn't end up working out. Yeah, I agree. I think outside of CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, Mims has as much upside as any receiver in this class. Honestly, my, my, my biggest knock against him, and it might not even be fair, but it's just the fact that he's coming from Baylor and we, we just haven't seen these Baylor wide receivers hit at the NFL level. The the last four receivers to come out of Baylor and be picked in the first three rounds of the NFL draft, Jalen Hurd, who is still, you know, it's still up in the air for him in San Francisco, Corey Coleman, who obviously was a, a total bust for the Browns, and then Terrence Williams and Kendall Wright. Terrence Williams and Kendall Wright, both those guys turned in one top 36 fantasy season. So they were they were relevant for a time, but, you know, I wouldn't call them big hits. So that, that's sort of the... the the scary part with Mims is, you know, is he just not NFL ready coming out of this Baylor offense? Yeah, I mean, certainly not big hits, but I think Williams and Wright were decent. And of course, the other Baylor guy 
is Josh Gordon. So what I think the message here is that Denzel Mims needs to get some marijuana exposure <laughs> because that's the missing link to turn a Baylor wide receiver into a pro success. He needs to get some uh, marijuana, but not get caught. Well, he can smoke all the pot he wants now, right? Didn't they take uh, marijuana off the, the banned substances in the new CBA? There you go. That's basically <laughs> the Denzel Mims rule. There you go. He's, he's set. I should move him up the ranking. There you go. All right. <laughs> happy to, I'm happy to argue for him in that case. Uh, who's just ahead of him on this early list? Uh, number six, I have Justin Jefferson out of LSU. And if you look at raw production this past season, he, he was the most productive wide receiver in, in this class, one of the most productive receivers in the entire country last year. Um, 111 catches that tied for the most in the country, 1,540 receiving yards that ranked third in the nation, 18 touchdowns was second most in the nation. Now, again, like Henry Ruggs at Alabama, we need to put Jefferson's production into context because he was playing in this you know, really historic LSU offense, um, one of the, the best passing games we've ever seen in college football. LSU led the country in passing yards and touchdowns. They finished second in completions. So, you know, Jefferson, Jefferson's market shares aren't as strong as you'd think. Um, 26% of the team's receptions this past season, 26% of the receiving yards, 30% of the touchdowns. So those, those marks rank 12th 17th and 14th among 23 of this year's top wide receiver prospects. So sort of really just in the middle of the pack as far as market shares go. Now, what I do like about Jefferson's production is he actually had better market shares as a sophomore in 2018, you know, in what was a much less effective LSU passing game. But Jefferson had 24% of the catches, 30% of the receiving yards, 35% of the touchdowns as a sophomore. So, you know, to me, that sophomore season is almost more impressive than his, his massive 2019 season. Yeah, and I think for him, when you factor all that in, that's an example of where I, I'm not too worried about his market shares from last year because you know there was plenty of talent around him. There's another receiver who's probably going in the first round next year, and it, it's strong enough. You know, it's middle of the class. It's not like it was bottom of the class to yeah. go with the numbers. So I, I'm not concerned at all about downturn in market share last year. And like you mentioned, the, the better market share the year before. I think that if I'm comparing Justin Jefferson and Denzel Mims, though, I'm going for the guy that I think is the higher upside player. Yes. I wonder if Justin Jefferson has a bit of Jordan Matthews to him. I mean, I hadn't thought of that comp, but I definitely agree with you that outside of the top two guys, C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy, Jefferson might be the safest wide receiver prospect in this class. But I agree, I don't think his ceiling is that high. Now, he he did test better than expected at the Combine. Um, so he, he's 6'1", 202 pounds, ran a 4'4", 340, which was much faster than people expected him to run. Also did well in, in the jumping drills. Um, Jefferson finished with an 82nd percentile spark score. So he, he was a Combine winner. I watch him, though. I don't see him playing that athletic. You don't see him creating a ton of separation against man coverage. He is good in contested situations. Um, he actually had the highest contested catch conversion rate this past season, according to Pro Football Focus. And he also he played mostly outside in his 2018 sophomore season. Then he played about 80% of his snaps in the slot this past season. So I do like that he can probably play both spots at the next level. So again, I'm with you that Mims has the higher ceiling. But, you know, if you're looking for safety, I, I do think Jefferson easily beats beats Mims and, again, most of these guys in safety. Yeah, and the separation thing is what makes me wonder about the Jordan Matthews thing where they're, they're you know, productive receivers, and I think George, Justin Jefferson is a good bet to produce somewhere, but I wonder if in the NFL the lack of separation is going to make him, I don't know, less of a, a high upside producer. And I, I wonder if, I know that you mentioned it, I wonder if it's going to be more important for him than it might be for some others that he lands in a particular spot. Yes, I, I think Jefferson is the type of guy who's going to need pretty significant volume to be like a real fantasy difference maker. Mm -hmm. Curious to see where he lands. Who's just ahead of him on your list now? So number five for me is Jalen Rager. And you know, he, he's more in the Denzel Mims bucket where I think he, he's a pretty big High risk, high reward prospect. I definitely see the upside. I would not be shocked if Jalen Rager ends up being a bust. So let's start with the good for Jalen Rager. Broke out as an 18-year-old true freshman at TCU. Again, kind of like, uh, who are we looking at? Brian Edwards. Um, not not massive raw numbers for Rager that season. Just 576 yards and eight touchdowns. But it was a bad TCU passing game. He actually led that team in yards and touchdowns. Counted for almost 30% of TCU's touchdowns as a true freshman. Then Rager had a really big 
sophomore season in 2018 in terms of market share and raw production. Um, 72 catches, 1,061 yards, nine touchdowns that year. All three of those marks were top 30 in the country. And that was despite TCU still being a pretty mediocre passing game. They finished that season 85th in passing yards, 82nd in passing touchdowns. So Rager had massive market shares in that 2018 season, 30% of the catches, 39% of the receiving yards, 50% of the receiving touchdowns. He also puts a check mark in the athleticism box. 5'11", 206 pounds, earned a 93rd percentile spark score at the combine. The bad with Jalen Rager, basically his entire 2019 season just took a massive step back. Just 43 catches, 611 yards, five touchdowns. Now, TCU's passing game again was bad. They had a freshman quarterback come in, complete just 53% of his passes, averaged 6.1 yards per attempt. TCU finished 99th in the country in passing yards, 96th in passing touchdowns. Rager saw the fourth highest rate of off-target passes in any receiver in the entire nation this past season, according to Pro Football Focus. So a lot of it wasn't his fault. You know, he has excuses for the bad 2019 season. Even still, though, you know, his his market shares were mediocre at best this past year. 20% of the catches 25% of the receiving yards, 33% of those touchdowns. Those marks ranked 19th, 18th, and 10th among 23 of this year's top wide receiver prospects. Yeah, I I like that we have an explanation for that. And maybe Jalen Rigger is just the kind of receiver that their freshman quarterback just couldn't hit consistently. And, and, you know, maybe that doesn't turn out to be the case, but it's one of those where uh, you you can write a story about why it didn't work out for him even in that category. But I, I agree with what you said previously, this whole range, it's really going to depend on where these guys land for how we value them in rookie drafts. Right. And again, I mean, if you're looking for the safer guy, it's Jeff, Justin Jefferson. If you want the upside, mm-hmm. it's guys like Rager, guys like Mims. But again, I do think Rager, he he flashes the ability to be awesome on his tape, but there's inconsistencies. I think I think he's not nearly the most NFL-ready guy on this list. I think he's somebody you might have to be patient with, but again... Um, you know, what he did as, as a sophomore, the athleticism, um, I think, you know, he he has upside. He also did some ball carrying stuff for TCU, had um, 35 carries for 324 yards. So he averaged 9.3 yards per carry at TCU. So I, I wonder if you draft him, you hope his NFL team is going to let him do some of that stuff at the next level. And I like that even if it doesn't carry over in his number of carries in, in the NFL, I, I like when we find a guy a receiver especially, who the college teams just manufactured touches for. Like they felt like they needed to get in the ball in various ways because that made them better. And that is part of the story for the next guy on your list who I was a little surprised to see how high he was, LaVisca Chenault. Yeah, great great transition there because, yeah, he – Chenault, it looks like a running back, almost plays like a running back. Um, You know, he he was used at Colorado almost like a running back in some ways. Chenault's just – he's – Probably my favorite watch in this wide receiver class. So maybe I'm a bit biased putting him up here at four. Again, all these guys from three to seven are pretty interchangeable. Maybe Chanel ends up dropping in the final rankings. But Chanel, to me, has the potential to be almost a bigger, better version of Debo Samuel. Chanel's 6'1", 227 pounds. Um, To put that in perspective, he's an inch taller and just a pound lighter than Ezekiel Elliott and Leonard Fournette. So again, he almost looks like a running back playing wide receiver. As you'd expect for a guy that size, he's at the best. He's at his best with the ball in his hands. Um, Averaged 7.5 yards after the catch this past season. Forced 15 missed tackles on um, receptions. Both those marks were top 50 in the country. And then like you alluded to, Colorado regularly used Chanel on runs. He took handoffs. He had end arounds. I even saw him at Wildcat quarterback on a few times near the goal line. So he ended up having 42 carries for 280 yards and seven touchdowns over his three seasons. Um, so again, I, I just, I like that after catchability. I think he sort of like Rager has some work to do on like the finer points of the position, but I also think that Chenault's the kind of guy who can come in and make an immediate impact. Like we saw Debo Samuel, just because of that ability with the ball in his hands. And I'm pretty sure that last year at this time, you were talking about Debo Samuel being your favorite wide receiver to watch on film in last year's class. So maybe, maybe we're finding out that you have a type. I definitely have a type. <laughs> you like running backs who can play wide receiver. <laughs> I mean, I get, I totally get what you're saying about him. I, I saw the same kind of stuff. The question, it seems like one of the big questions is injury. And mm-hmm. you have to, I mean, that was the question with Debo Samuel last year. It was also the question with yeah. DK Metcalf. 
Uh, we're one year into the the career of each player. It certainly looks like they're beginning to work out like they can at least handle the NFL level. And I think the injury stuff, unless it's something truly serious, uh, you know, like a like a degenerative knee condition, I feel yeah. like we should probably just ignore these things. That, that's sort of my lean, and that's you know obviously why I have him up at four here. But I, yeah, durability is a concern. Um, Chenault missed four games over the past two seasons with a few different injuries. Um, he had foot and shoulder surgeries prior to this past season, and then he had core muscle surgery actually right after the combine. He actually ran the 40 at the combine um, but didn't do any other drills, and then we sort of learned afterward that he needed that surgery for the core muscle injury. So yeah, surgery, um, three surgeries now in the past you know year and a half or so. So durability concern, especially the way he plays, you know, he, he sort of dishes out punishment. He's going to take punishment too. But again, he has the size to sort of play that type of game in the NFL. And as, he, as long as he doesn't lose his surgery punch card, he should be in for a free one um, pretty soon at least. Yeah. Uh, num- who's number three on the list? Uh, number three is T Higgins. He is sort of in the Jefferson boat to me. I think he he's super safe. I think he has more upside than Justin Jefferson though. Um, T, T Higgins to me, he really checks like every box from an analytical perspective. So Look at his career at Clemson. He comes in at Clemson as a five-star recruit. He was a top 20 overall player in the 2017 recruiting class. 345 yards and two touchdowns as a freshman, so nothing big there. But then, then he broke out as a sophomore, um, 18-year-old sophomore, 59 catches, 936 yards, 12 touchdowns. That was 22% of Clemson's receiving yards, 32% of the receiving touchdowns. Again, as a sophomore in this loaded program where he's, you know, competing for targets with a bunch of other, you know, highly recruited guys. Um, New career highs last year for T Higgins in that Trevor Lawrence led passing game obviously helped, but um, the market shares were still pretty solid. 18% of the catches, 27% of the receiving yards, 33% of the receiving touchdowns. He also um, was second in this wide receiver class in yards per route run. He was second to only CD Lamb. T Higgins was. And then he also shined in the yards per target thing that I've been looking at lately. So I compare each player's yards per target with the rest of the team to just sort of see who was most efficient compared to you know the other guys they were fighting for targets for. So T Higgins at Clemson last year averaged 13.4 yards per target. The rest of his teammates averaged just 7.5 yards per target. So that, that difference of 70 something percent was number one in this wide receiver class. So, you know, from Production standpoint, I think Higgins is just as good as anyone beyond Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb, and I think he even sort of competes with those guys from that standpoint. The concern with Higgins is the measurables. He opted not to work out at the combine, then ran a a 40 time somewhere in the mid four fives at his pro day, ended up with a 36th percentile spark score. But again, we've seen studies. We we, we know that there's just not a lot of correlation between measurables and NFL success. I'm not letting that worry me too much. I like T Higgins tape. I think, you know, he can sort of do everything. He can win in the contested stuff. He's a good enough route runner. He can make plays after the catch. So I I think Higgins has the potential to be a number one wide receiver for his NFL team. Yeah. I think the only time that you worry about that stuff is if it matches up with something that you've already seen, if he had trouble getting away from coverage or whatever, it has to match up there to actually be a point of concern. And I'll add that the the other thing I like about him is his name is very easy to say and write. So as a fantasy analyst, I hope that T Higgins has a long, successful career. Yes, I agree. And, and, you know, just coming, coming from Clemson makes me feel good too, because, you know, more often than not, these Clemson guys have been hits. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, obviously the big hit. There were Sammy Watkins, there was Mike Williams. I think those guys have, you know, flashed enough on occasion where if T Higgins has a career somewhere in that range, you know, he'll he'll end up being pretty successful. Mm Mm-hmm. But he is the start of the second tier, right? These, these last two guys are the top tier. Yeah, I mean, to me, Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb are... are I, I don't see how you can not have them one, two in some order. And honestly, I've gone back and forth with these two. My eyes want to rank Jerry Judy number one. I just, I like... I wouldn't even say I like his tape better. I just, I like guys like him who create separation and... and just play his style a bit more than CeeDee Lamb. He's more of the contested catch guy. Um, but I actually right now have Jerry Judy at number two just because I think if you look at the numbers, the production, that type of stuff, CeeDee Lamb beats him out a bit. Um, that's not to say Judy's production is bad, though. I think it's you know right up there with Lamb is some of the best stuff in this class. Judy broke out as a sophomore at Alabama, his, his 2018 season there. 68 catches, 1,315 yards, 
14 touchdowns. Um, he was 10th in the entire country in receiving yards. He was tied for third in the country in receiving touchdowns. And again, that's alongside Henry Ruggs, alongside Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, who are likely going to be you know first or second round picks at least next season. That was alongside Irv Smith, who we saw go in the second round to the Vikings last year. So lots of target competition. Judy still put up massive numbers as a sophomore. He won the Bolitnikoff Award as a sophomore, which is given to the to, to the best wide receiver in the nation. Judy became the eighth wide receiver to win the Bolitnikoff Award as a sophomore or freshman. The other seven are Randy Moss, Antonio Bryant, Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Crabtree, who actually did it twice. He won it as a freshman and a sophomore, Justin Blackman, Marquise Lee, and then the eighth guy was actually Jamar Chase from LSU, who you know is going to be uh, one of the top wide receivers in next year's class. So just a pretty good group that Judy's joining as, you know, guys who were the best receiver in the nation as a sophomore. Um, Judy's numbers did take a slight step back this past season. You had Tua uh, Tagovailoa miss four games and parts of a couple more. I think that had something to do with Judy's drop in production, but you know he, he still put up nice numbers, 77 catches, 1,163 yards, 10 touchdowns. All three of those marks still top five in the country or top 25 in the nation. You know, Devontae Smith actually led Alabama in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns this past season. Maybe you use that as a knock against Jerry Judy. I tend not to because Devontae Smith is a former five-star recruit, figures to be a high pick in the 2021 draft. So, you know, Judy barely lost out to another high-end prospect. I don't consider that a major mark against them. Still put up nice market shares this past season. 27% of Alabama's catches, 26% of the receiving yards, 20% of the receiving touchdowns. And um, he also fared well in yards per route run. 3.3 yards per route run was fourth best um, among those 23 top wide receiver prospects in this class. I got to admit, I zoned out when you reminded me how good a uh, college receiver Michael Crabtree was. And then yeah. what a waste that Justin Blackman became in the NFL with his off-field stuff. Exactly, Anna. But yeah, I mean, these guys are the top two. And I, for me, it's probably going to end up being sorted out by where they land in the first round. Yep, exactly. Um, but, yeah, you, you know, you, man, Judy's tape, you know, I, I said LaVisca Chanot is my, you know, favorite wide receiver watch in the class. It's honestly probably Jerry Judy. Uh, he's okay. just, he he just, he moves differently than a lot of other wide receivers. It's, it's almost sometimes like he has no knee. Like his, <laughs> his, his legs just like, they flail and he's just, he he creates a ton of separation. He's awesome after the catch. I, I just, I think he's super safe just because of what he did at Alabama and just, because of how he wins, it's tough for me to see him busting in, in the NFL. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, CeeDee Lamb is enjoyable to watch as well. Yeah, see, so it's it's interesting because I, th- I do think CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy are very different types of receivers. Lamb, more of the bigger bodied, you know, win with power after the catch. He, he wins downfield. He has decent speed, but he really wins downfield with his his ball skills and just his size and leaping ability. But, you know, Lamb, it's it's tough to find a hole in his profile. Again, the tape looks good with the after the catch stuff and the downfield ability. He tested pretty well. Um, 6'2", 198, 71st percentile spark. So, you know, he's an above average athlete as an NFL wide receiver. And then the production, this is why I have Lamb had a Judy for now. It's just, I think Lamb's production is a bit more impressive. Came in as a true freshman in 2017, ranked third on Oklahoma in catches and receiving yards behind only Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews, you know, Brown, a a first round pick last year. Andrews has emerged as one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Lamb was named a freshman All-American that year. Then in 2018, he actually beat out Marquise Brown for the team lead with 11 touchdowns, finished second on that team behind only Brown in catches and receiving yards. Um, And then with Brown off to the NFL this past season, Lamb set new career highs with 1,327 receiving yards. 14 touchdowns that was despite missing one game too and Oklahoma's passing offense taking a slight step back with uh, Jalen Hurts under center so Lamb's market shares this past season 27 percent of the catches 34 percent of the receiving yards 44 percent of the receiving touchdowns Lamb led these top 23 wide receivers we've been looking at in yards per route run this past season at 3.99. He was pretty clearly number one in that department, you know, sort of a tier above the rest of the guys. And then he also fared well in that um, yards per target differential metric that I was talking about with um, T. Higgins. C.D. Lamb averaged 15.1 yards per target this past season, kind of a ridiculous number. Now the the rest of Oklahoma pass catchers averaged 9.7. That's a nice number too, but you know, Lamb's 56% you know, differential there was still fourth best among all these wide receivers. So he was efficient, even despite playing in this, you know, top end passing game. 
Yeah, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, they're going to be the top two wide receivers in our rookie rankings and probably in pretty much every rookie draft. The question is how high in the first round they sit. That's a question we'll be answering as we you know, look further into the running backs, everybody's landing spot, and when our initial rookie rankings come out. So, Jared, let's talk about some of the guys that missed your initial top 10. Might still end up there. We'll see. Nothing's set yet. But um, my first question is, why do you hate Michael Pittman? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's someone I definitely might be too low on because he tested well at the combine for his size. His production is good. You know, his his 2019 season was huge, but it came as a as a senior. Um, he was decent before that. His just his tape just sort of bored me. I mean, there's just nothing special about it. But in the right spot, again, he's someone Pittman is, to me is like Justin Jefferson, where I do think he's going to need pretty heavy volume because he's not going to be a big play threat. He's more you know the short intermediate type guy but in the right landing spot I could definitely see Pittman you know outproducing where I have him ranked right now which I think I have many 11 so he just missed my top 10 mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense and that's uh, that's where he is in dynasty league football's rookie ADP as well so it's certainly not um, way out of there I, I was surprised I think he was the fourth rookie wide receiver off the board in our mock draft that we just finished yeah. Uh, recently so we'll we'll see who who's right and who's wrong about him there he, he tested well athletically you know we've said that doesn't ultimately matter a whole lot but it's at least not a knock against him he's a big guy does have a dad who played in the NFL by the same name was a running back so I mean it can't hurt to have that experience around you I'll, I'll be curious to see where he goes NFL draft wise yeah and you know the fourth wide receiver off the board in a redraft is, is too rich for me but I do think he is one of the more NFL ready guys, you know, being older, being you know a guy who spent four years in college, being a bigger body, just sort of how he wins with that size and, and physicality. I do think he's someone who could come in and play a pretty big role right off the bat. Yeah, I would say that he's the kind of guy that if he lands in the right spot, meaning if he lands with a team that presents immediate opportunity, then you, you kind of overlook not yep. being excited about his college tape and say, all right, he's probably going to have some numbers pretty early. Yes, agree, definitely. What are Chase Claypool's issues? Because he's been a riser <laughs> since the NFL Combine, but he's not in our top 10 here. I don't have Claypool in my notes here because I think he should <laughs> move to tight end. If he moved to tight end, he might be my number one tight end in this class. Um, he, he has the size. He could probably put on you know, 10, 15 pounds to be you know, better equipped to play tight end. Um, you know, he, he tested off the charge. I, I think he was 99th percentile spark because um, he's, he's big. He ran fast. He jumped well. He just he doesn't play that athletically to me. Like, you don't see him creating a lot of separation, even like down the field. He doesn't play to his speed, um, but he is good in contested situations. And again, if he moves to tight end and then you get him on linebackers and safeties, I think I think he could be a, a definite mismatch. But if he sticks at wide receiver, um, I don't see him cracking my top 10. I agree. I mean, I haven't watched a lot of him yet, but he looks like an athletic tight end as opposed mm-hmm. to an athletic wide receiver. So if some team wants to make him Evan Ingram mm-hmm. or their Mike Jacecki, he probably could be a better Mike Jacecki than Mike Jacecki. <laughs> he probably could. And there were, I think there was at least one team that wanted him to work out at tight end at the combine. So I think it is something that is on the league's mind. So I'm curious to see, you know, when, when Chase Claypool's name gets announced later this month, if it's as a wide receiver or as a tight end. He talked about Baylor receivers being a thing before, but Chase Claypool has unexciting tape from Notre Dame. Miles Boykin tested great after having yeah. unexciting tape from Notre Dame. Equinemius St. Brown had unimpressive production in Notre Dame. I just I wonder if we're going to start talking about Notre Dame wide receivers as a thing. Michael Floyd, I know that's sort of a sore spot oh for God. us. But... We could have skipped that one. I could have gone without <laughs> talking about him on this show. Yeah. All right. Any favorites outside of that group? Give me one one favorite. Can I give you three favorites? No, start with one. That's my <laughs> turn. All right. Um, KJ Hamler, who you mentioned, who I have called the discount Henry Ruggs. I mean, he's he's a little smaller than than Henry Ruggs. I do think Ruggs has better hands, a bit bigger catch radius. But KJ Hamler, I mean, he, he didn't run at the combine because of a hamstring injury. But if he had, I think he could have challenged Henry Ruggs to be the fastest wide receiver there. You know, Ruggs ran the 427. I think Hamler is at least a four three guy and maybe a low four three guy. He, he's he's fast, but we'll leave it at that. And his his production at Penn State has been pretty solid. He actually led Penn State in catches and receiving yards as a redshirt freshman in 2018. Um, boosted his numbers across the board this past season. 56 catches, 904 yards, eight touchdowns. Pretty solid market shares. Averaged um, nearly 17 yards per catch for his career. Again, can win downfield. I also think he has. 
KJ Hamler is quicker than Henry Ruggs. I think he he's a better separation creator on like short and intermediate stuff. Um, Pro Football Focus actually charted Hamler with a step or more of separation on 64% of his targets, 10 plus yards downfield this past season. That was the fourth highest rate in college football. So again, rather than taking Henry Ruggs in the first round, if I'm an NFL team, I'm, I'm going to take KJ Hamler in you know, the, the late second or maybe third round. And I think the argument is the same in fantasy. I'm not that interested in a small, fast receiver in the second half of round one of my rookie draft, but at the end of round two or early in round three, I'll absolutely take a shot on a guy like that. Yep, exactly. I mean, I, I think we we see these small, fast receivers and we always want to compare them to Deshaun Jackson, but I actually think that is the best comparison for KJ Hamler. Deshaun Jackson was almost the exact same size as Hamler coming out of Cal. He, I think he put on you know, five, 10 pounds as a pro, but you know, I think that that's the upside for KJ Hamler. He's never going to be a high volume, high catch guy, but you know, he's someone who you know could be super efficient with the targets he gets and give you a pretty high weekly ceiling in fantasy lineups. And I think it's also important to remember whenever some guy makes you think of Deshaun Jackson, that Deshaun Jackson is an outlier in the NFL. I mean, he was in college. First of all, he was a pretty good volume guy and also a dynamic kick returner. So Deshaun Jackson was very good there, and he's just been an anomaly in terms of a a small, fast receiver who's been productive for a long time. Hamler came in at 178 pounds. There's only been three receivers in that you know vicinity weight-wise that have posted multiple seasons of 80 800 plus yards over the past ten seasons. It's Deshaun Jackson, John Brown, and Jamison Crowder. So again, like you said, those guys are sort of the exception to the rule, but they're also proof that it is possible to you know be a productive NFL player at that size. Mm-hmm. And also worth noting that John Brown, well, I guess John Brown produced early, but he even, he didn't really turn into what he is now until the past two seasons, one in Baltimore and one in Buffalo. Yeah. I mean, I think it was injury stuff for him. He's finally figured out how to stay healthy, but mm-hmm. uh, my first outside the top 10 favorite is Tyler Johnson mm-hmm. from Minnesota. Six two two Oh five was a dual threat QB in high school. But he contributed right away as a receiver, a true as a true freshman at Minnesota. Built up every year from there, fifteen and a half yards per catch career on a, a team that was just kind of okay. And he's not an elite speed guy. The Minnesota program's been building over the past few years, and I think Tyler Johnson's helped uh, build them up. Not elite speed, like I said, but looks good, like a, a terrific route runner, a good fighter for the ball, has sticky hands. He's solid after the catch. Market shares were monstrous. I mean. market share of receptions last year, 40% yards, 43% touchdowns. The year before, he was over 40% in catches and yards as well, 60% touchdowns. Even back to his 19-year-old sophomore year, 44.7% of the yards that season. Again, that was his second year playing wide receiver after being a quarterback in high school. He says he studies Stephon Diggs a lot. That's not going to bother me at all. That certainly can only help him. Uh, he has experience outside and in the slot. To me, Tyler Johnson looks like a guy who could be some team slot receiver in the NFL right away. Definitely, and I haven't. I, he's one of the like three or four wide receivers I still have to you know write up um, for the website. So I haven't even completely you know dug into Tyler Johnson yet. But I know the market shares are awesome. I know that concern is just the athleticism, and I think he, I believe he just opted not to work out at the combine. I don't think he was hurt. I think he just didn't work out. So I think you know there's some concern there maybe that, you know, he's a subpar athlete, but again, we're not super concerned with that for wide receivers, especially when, you know, Johnson proved capable of producing, you know, despite what might be subpar athleticism at Minnesota. Yeah. And it was weird that he was not invited to the super bowl or super bowl, (laughs) senior bowl, not invited to the senior bowl, um, you know, given the production that he had throughout his career. Yeah. That, that, that makes no, I, that, see, I, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if the NFL just isn't this high on him for whatever reason, but I guess, you know, we'll, we'll find out later this month. For me, he's the kind of profile that at this point, I kind of hope he doesn't go until like round five so that fellow dynasty drafters aren't going to build him up and he's there late round three, early round four, and you stash him and you look like a genius. Yeah, definitely. All right. Who's your next one? Um, let's go Devin Duvernay. I call KJ Hamler a discount Henry Ruggs. I think Duvernay is sort of a discount Brandon Ayuk. You know, I think like Ayuk, Duvernay really just has one big season in college. I, you know, came this past season at Texas, 106 catches for Duvernay. That was third most in the entire country. 1,386 receiving yards. That was fifth most in the country. He had nine touchdowns, 
35% of Texas's catches, 37% of the receiving yards, 28% of the touchdowns. Those marks are second, fifth, and 16th best out of the 23 wide receivers we're looking at. Duvernay fared well in yards per route run this past season, um, sixth best among those 23 wide receivers. He's a pure slot receiver. He's, he's 5'10", 200 pounds, ran 97% of his snaps from the slot last season. So, you know, that's where he's going to be in the NFL, but, you know, ran a 4-3-9-40, so he has speed, um, earned his 68th percentile spark score overall. The concern, and it's a big one, is that he didn't break out until his final season as a 22-year-old senior. But again, another guy, I think in the you know third round of your dynasty rookie drafts, you know, that, that 2019 season um, makes Duvernay interesting to me. My concern is that when you start comparing Duvernay to Ayuk, it makes me wonder if we've turned this into a hockey podcast. <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad thing. <laughs> I have one more late round wide receiver, and it's Joe Reed from Virginia. 89th percentile spark athlete. You know, might not matter. Doesn't hurt. He's athletic. His top measurables comp is A.J. Brown. That's according to Mock Draftable. And we're talking about size and testing numbers there. He's 6'1". I believe he's 224 pounds. A late breakout at 21 is concerning, but not so much when we're talking about a late round guy who, you know, we're just taking a chance on. Top half of the comparison group that you mentioned before among wideouts in terms of market share at touchdowns last year, he had no more than 25 catches any season until his senior year, which was last year, but led Virginia in receptions last year. The two seasons before that, they were led by Olamide Zacchaeus, who was an undrafted free agent with the Falcons last year. Um, 11.4 yards per catch career for Joe Reed. That's not really an impressive number, especially for a guy who looks like he has decent speed, but Seven touchdown catches each of the past two years, 34 career carries, and a dynamic kick returner. 28.7 yards per kick return for his career, five touchdowns in that category. I've watched a little bit of him so far. He flashes some ball skills, flashes some impressive run after the catch, which you would expect from a good kick returner. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to watch a little more. I think he's going to be a late draft pick, and he's like a an end-of-rookie draft chance to take. Yep. Yeah. You know, honestly, I've not looked at all into Joe Reed, so I'm not going to comment on him, but you, you're def- you definitely have me intrigued and I will add him to my list of guys. Nice. That's a goal. Who's your last one? Uh, Isaiah Hodgins um, out of Oregon State. He's, he's a guy I still need to do more work on him, but his, his 2019 market shares just stand out and, and, ma- and you know, make him a guy I want to look more into. Um, so as a 20 year old junior this past season, he accounted for 33% of his team's receptions, 38% of the receiving yards, 43% of the touchdowns. Those are all top four marks in uh, among those 23 wide receivers. Um, he also fared well in yards per route run. He was 10th among those 23. He's a longer lanky guy, 6'4", 210 pounds. He ran a 4'6", at the combine. So I think, you know, some people will see that and sort of forget about him, but Hodgins performed well in the jumping drills. He was 64th percentile in the vertical, 74th percentile in the broad jump. He was also 70th percentile in the short shuttle drill. So he finished with a 71st percentile spark score. So, you know, despite the subpar speed, he's a above average athlete overall. So he's a guy that I want to watch a little bit and again, see where he ends up landing later this month. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about Henry Ruggs maybe being overrated. Is there any other one guy that you think is, seems like he's a little bit overrated in fantasy terms right now? I, I was looking at some of the Dynasty ADP and some of the rankings on other sites, and you know, nothing really stuck out to me outside of Ruggs. And even Ruggs is you know down around you know wide receiver four to six in a lot of rankings. So I think he's I think he's more properly valued by Dynasty owners right now than he's going to be in the NFL draft. But I do think Justin Jefferson is a guy who might end up being overrated if he does go in the first round if he does land in a good spot like we talked about I just don't think the ceiling is super high with him and and I think people are going to look at the raw numbers this past season at LSU they're going to look at the strong combine that he you know he put up back in March and I think he might be overdrafted he might just go a bit higher than I'm willing to take him nothing glaring to me either one guy that I wonder about is Antonio Gibson from Memphis who Mm -hmm. He looks to me like like somebody who's intriguing. Like I can understand being interested in Antonio Gibson, but then I saw him at, at number twelve in the DLF rookie ADP, and it, you know, again, that's that's based on just a, a smattering of drafts from a certain group of drafters. Yeah. But I don't, I just don't know that he brings the kind of profile that supports being that interested in him. It seems like Antonio Gibson should be more like a late round three, round four kind of rookie draft player. Well, we're not sure if he's going to play wide receiver or running back in the mm-hmm. pros, right? Yeah. Um, I've I've heard you know I've heard I've heard both that he might play either. So let's uh, I thought about putting him on my my rundown here. Let's make sure we talk about him on the running back podcast on Thursday. 
Yeah, I'm curious to see if he's Tony Pollard. Right, exactly. I, th- I think that's the easy comp for him. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out all the Dynasty Prospects scouting reports that we've put together so far. That's 27 players across four positions as we speak, with more joining the list every day. I posted our first tight end, Dayton's Adam Troutman, this morning. He's an interesting guy. We will run through the running backs on this show next week. Then we'll hit the quarterbacks, and I'm not, I'm sorry, later this week. And then we'll hit the quarterbacks and tight ends after that. That'll be next week. And then it'll be time to see just how this socially distanced NFL draft is going to go down. We've also got a mock draft just completed and about to hit the website, DraftSharks.com, as well. Before you know it, we're going to be publishing our 2020 projections, Jared. Um, I know you're almost done. I'm about halfway through now. I'm, I'm excited. I, I, that's my that's my favorite part of the fantasy calendar, honestly, is, is uh, doing the initial projections for the season. Just really kind of opens your eyes to guys that you were maybe overlooking or overrating um, you know, for the past month or two. I agree, and you can see plenty of notes from both of us on Twitter. We're all at Draft Sharks. Jared is at Smola DS. I am at Shop DS. That's S C H A U F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shop saying thanks so much for swimming with us.